Thank you for listening to this message from Waynesboro Free Methodist Church. Our mission is to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We hope this message helps you along your journey. Me again. Grab your Bibles, turn to John chapter 11 this morning. John chapter 11. As you're turning there, I want to do a quick review. Week one in this series, When God Doesn't Make Sense, we ask the question, where do I run? Because we all run to some sort of refuge or shelter. Some of them are just not healthy. We learn that really we need to run to God's presence in Psalm 73. In week two, we looked at when God seems unfair, we were in Isaiah 55 and we learned how high his ways truly are. In week three, we looked at when God seems inattentive. We looked at the story of a slave girl from Egypt. We learned that God is the God who sees. In week four, Pastor Ethan gave us an incredible word from Luke 14. When God asks too much, Jesus is always worth it. Then in week five, last week, we looked at when God seems uncooperative, as if he's not doing the things you wanted him to do, his word is his grace is sufficient for you. Now, if you've not been able to keep up with those, if you've not been here for some of them, you can go online, waynesborofmcom forward slash sermons, and you can listen to them there. We also have a podcast uh, on anywhere you get your podcasts, and you should be able to listen to them there as well. And I'll tell you, I say that because this week is the is the final week of the series, and it's actually going to serve as like a culmination of all of these put together into one final, really big, really important question. And the question we're asking this morning is, what about when God seems late? What about when God seems late? Now, let me just ask this. Just raise your hand if you love waiting for things. Wow, not a single hand, right? If you love, you love waiting for that package to arrive, you love waiting for that water to start boiling, like you're just sitting there watching it for 20 minutes with anticipation, like it's gonna go. You love, you love waiting for that red light to turn green. You love waiting and waiting for uh, the chance to play with that new gadget that you got on Christmas morning and you can't get and you gotta wait and you gotta wait. You love waiting for those commercials to end in the middle of your program, right? Or you, you really love waiting on the person that's sitting next to you, your spouse, don't tell them that. Don't raise your hand for that. No, no. Nobody raise their hand because nobody likes waiting, right? It's actually a minor inconvenience in our world today, and we build a lot of technology around the idea of how to avoid having to wait, right? Think about it. We, we, one of the biggest problems that we have is the ability to delay our gratification. We just don't do it anymore. Right? So, for example, uh, you know how we're getting that Amazon down in Waynesboro where the old Kmart was? Look at me, I sound like a local. I've only lived here nine months. Right? We're getting that Amazon, why? So they can provide same day shipping because we can't wait the free two days that we get through their prime, we need it now. So somebody's gonna ride on a bike to your house to deliver it. Right? We, 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 we can't wait for those stoplights to turn green, so what are we doing? We're turning all of them into roundabouts just so we can feel like we're always going. We no longer have cable anymore. Some of you might, but if you're getting in the modern age, you have a subscription to Netflix or Disney Plus or Hulu or whatever it is just so you don't have to watch commercials. Guys, I can tell you, my kids, they were watching a show one time. This was a few years back, and, and a commercial came on in the middle of the show, 
And they said, Daddy, the, the, the program, the, the video stopped. It changed, to pro, changed videos. And I said, no, that's a commercial. And they said, what is a commercial? Like, it's not even, it's not even relevant these days anymore. Now, as far as your spouse problem goes, that's till death do you part. I'm sorry, I can't change that. Amen. Right? Now, those things are super easy. Super easy. But what about waiting on God? Like, what about waiting years to conceive a child as a mom? What about waiting and waiting and waiting for God to put you in that job that you think aligns best with your calling on your life? Or here's a hard one. What about waiting for that super special someone to come into your life and sweep you off your feet? What about when God seems late? That's the question that we're asking this morning. And the reason why it's such an important question to ask is because I see too many times in my own heart and in my brothers and sisters, when God seems late, we start to ask questions that are no longer in the light of the gospel, right? So for example, let me put them in context. So, so for those of you who are still single, has, does this question sound familiar? Is God punishing me? Am I still single because God's punishing me? Or, or, or am I not behaving godly enough or godly in a right way enough for, for, for God to give me that better job that I want? Or, or, or is, is me keeping my secret sin keeping God from giving me a child? Guys, th- those are no longer gospel questions because you've based his kindness towards you on your own works or failures. And the gospel doesn't regard those. His blessings don't regard those. So this is why asking the questions when God seems late is so important because we need to be able to stay in the light of the gospel when we're in that season. And today we're gonna look at a story in the Bible where God really does seem late. And I do pray that God uses it this morning to to help us believe all that he is and to believe all that we have in him. So let's take a look. You should be in John chapter 11 right now. I've been reading from the Christian Standard Bible. If you haven't noticed, uh, I've enjoyed it. Let's just read verses one through three to get us kicking off. Now a man was sick, Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. And it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sisters sent a message to him, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now notice how they don't even mention his name, right? We know it's Lazarus, but they don't mention his name to Jesus, the one you love. It'd be like, be like saying this, hey, uh, your, your best friend is in the hospital and it's not looking good. You know who that is, right? Unless you're just one of those people who says, I've got 15 best friends, then you don't have a clue. But Jesus is like, they're like, hey, the one you love is sick. So that, that, that's already implying this really close relationship that Lazarus, Mary, and Martha have with this person named Jesus, right? You can see their relationship, actually. You can track it across the Gospels. If you look in Luke chapter 10, you see Martha welcome Jesus into their home. Martha and Mary are there, right? And Jesus is teaching, and, and, and this is where we get the first, we got the first ever biblical personality test for women. Are you a Martha? Are you a Mary, right? 
Because Martha was the what? Martha was the one who was like hardworking, extroverted, hospitable, worrying, willing to speak her mind, host. Mary was the relational, introverted, right-choosing, quiet listener. We don't need the Enneagram anymore. We got this. So we get to verse 3, right? We see that verse 3, Mary that he talks about is the one who anoints Jesus' feet and then wipes his feet with her hair. She anoints it with this precious perfume and she wipes it off with her hair. Now that's in John 12, so that's after this story that we're reading here. But there's a close relationship here between these three and Jesus, which would also go to tell us that obviously these sisters knew Jesus. In other words, they knew all that he was, or at least sufficiently who he was, and they knew what he could do. They knew easily what he could do, right? If you were to track all that he did throughout the Gospel of John, look at, look at this. You, uh, in, in John chapter 2, he turned water into wine, right? You see that he healed a man who was disabled for 38 years. You saw Jesus healed a, he healed a deathly ill son of a, of a royal official from 20 miles away. He didn't even go over there. He, went, he, was, like, he was like 20 miles over Charlottesville. Hey, your son's better. We see, we see Jesus feed 5,000 people with just five loaves of bread and two fish. They knew that he walked on water. In fact, scripture says that he walked on water for three to four miles into it. Some of us don't even walk on land for three to four miles usually. And he does it on water. He also, we see him heal a man born blind from birth. Just incredible, miraculous signs. And guys, I am just telling you, the six that are in the book of John, the seventh one is about to happen. I'm not including the other works from the other books. So Mary and Martha know that this guy's done some crazy stuff. Like they have every reason to think that, hey, if he's sick, take him to Jesus. I mean, he's done this thing before, right? Like he can do it. It'll be like a walk in the park. I mean, they don't even tell him what they want him to do. They just say, hey, he's sick. You do you, Jesus. But here's where things get really tough. Look at verses four through seven. When Jesus heard the message that they sent, he said, this sickness will not end in death, but is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after that, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. Woo. Okay. So let's walk through this, right? So Jesus says that this this is not going to end in death for Lazarus. It's going to end in God's glory. All right, I'm on track with that. I like where you're going with this, Jesus. I like the idea of God's glory. Sounds good. And then and in verse 5, we see that that the, the, the author here makes sure that we know that Jesus loved these three. Ooh, this is great. Glory, love, those are some hot buzzwords in the Christian faith. Verse 6, therefore he waited. Wait a minute. Jesus said it wasn't going to end in death. It was going to be for the glory of God, the glory of the Son. He said that, oh, and, and by the way, I love these three very deeply. And because he loved them, 
he waited. That's literally the text. If you look in the Greek, it's inferential. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed there two more days. Jesus loves these three. Therefore, when he found out he was sick, he stayed. He loved them, so he stayed. Wait a minute. That doesn't sound like the Christianity God that we like to serve. He delayed. He waited. Remember we talked about when God seems unfair? His ways are light years above us and we're just down here on the ground in our thoughts. There are things that God will do that don't make sense. But do you know what this means? He loved them, therefore he waited. So this means if if you and I can be on the same page in worshiping the God that scripture reveals to us and that has been seen in the creation of the world, Jesus can both love you and make you wait. Woo! That runs counter to everything that we're trying to do with all the technology that we're inventing these days. Jesus can both love you and make you wait. Jesus can both love you and allow you to feel pain. Jesus can love you and allow you to endure suffering. As you remember Pastor Ethan's word, God may ask a lot of you, but his comfort is enough and Jesus is worth it. So not, not, only, not only do we see this, that Jesus can both love you and make you wait. Not only do we see that, but we also see that the reason why John included that specific verse was because his waiting was not a sign of lost or lacking love. Do you get that? Because often we think, hey, if he's making me wait, then he doesn't love me. Right? That sounds like a bad proposal, like a bad engagement. No, the reality is that God can love us and make us wait. And his making us wait doesn't indicate that his lost or his love is lost, or that his love has started to fade or lack something. Remember, his love never fails. We literally just sang about it five minutes ago, 10 minutes ago, 30 minutes ago. I'm just kidding. I don't know how long it was in. Guys, Jesus' love for them right here in his waiting, in his delay, was at infinite capacity, and it didn't lose a single iota of its strength. Therefore, because he loved them, he waited. Now, we've got to ask the question. I think it's appropriate for us to ask, why then would he wait? Why would he wait? Let's bounce real quick over to verse 17, because this gives us some indication. Verse 17, obviously we know Jesus eventually goes. He says, when Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. All right? So when Jesus shows up on the scene, it's been four days since Lazarus has died. They like to bury them right away. They don't do much of an embalming process. They buried him right away. Now there's a significance to four days and we need to know it. Many of the Jews back then held on to this superstitious belief. They held on to this belief that after a person dies, the spirit would kind of just hover over the body for three days with the hopes of being able to re-enter it. But on the fourth day, they believed that the fourth day, the body would be decomposing and it'd be, have a stench, and so they're like, uh, nope, I don't want it anymore, and then they'd move on. That was their superstitious belief that they held on to. Now, just a quick spoiler alert, right? Jesus waited 
to make sure that all of them would have nothing or no one else to blame anything or anyone else for Lazarus' resurrection. Jesus waited to make sure that nobody could blame Lazarus for being able to re-enter back into his body or blame anybody else. It had to be Jesus alone. So he waited to the fourth day when that belief was gone and they knew that it would be impossible. And Jesus said, no, watch me. So what if I told you that the whole point of this story about this guy named Lazarus isn't even about Lazarus? What if I told you that the main point of this whole story is actually about our right belief? About the people's right belief? What if I told you that? If you read through this story, John chapter 11, just read the whole story, circle the most repeated word, it's belief. Believe, believing. It appears eight times through this whole passage. In verse 15, he says, I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe in talking to his disciples. Verse 26, he's speaking to Martha. He says, do you believe this? In verse 42, I know that you always hear me when he's praying to his father in heaven. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I said this, so that they may believe. Guys, this passage is all about faith. It's all about belief in Jesus, rightly believing who he is. So Jesus waited because he loved them so that their faith would be built, so that their faith would be corrected and rightly placed onto him. Are you tracking with me there? So if that's the case, then this truth is always true about us. God is building your faith in your weight. When God seems late, he is building your faith in your weight. It's what he's doing. That's why Jesus waited ultimately so that they would shift their belief onto him alone and nothing else. God is building your faith in your weight. And what if I said that, that one of God's chief expressions of love towards us is to build your faith? Not to keep your life comfortable and easy, but to build up what you believe in your heart. What if that's one of the most chief ways that he can say, I love you, so therefore I'm gonna be about this? And often he'll use the environment of a weight to do so. Now, remember last week we learned that God's grace is sufficient for you. It's always enough, regardless of what happens. So even if he's asking you to wait, his grace will sustain you all through that, right? But let me ask this, would you, would you rather never have to experience the pain of waiting or would you rather experience the faith refining fire of waiting? Because if waiting is designed to build my faith, then I'll wait all day long. I would rather have right faith than what I want. Because that's what God's examining at the last day. Where was your trust? Where was your faith? What were you believing in? I want my faith to be filled, built and, and, and grown, even if it means I have to wait, especially since it's one of God's chief examples of love towards us. Now, Jesus waited 
because he loved them, because he wanted them to believe rightly. And then two days later, he said, like Optimus Prime, let's roll out. (laughs) So the disciples get really confused. They're confused about why he would want to go back to that dangerous region. There were a lot of people wanting to kill him. They have a dialogue. We're not going to take a lot of time to look at it. But basically, verse 11, Jesus says to them, hey, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to wake him up. And the disciples are like, wait, wait, if he's that sick and he's taking a quick nap, man, that's good. Let him sleep. Don't wake him up. He'll get better. That's great. But Jesus is like, how long, oh Lord, do I have to put up with these guys? No, Lazarus has died. In verse 14. So let's just, let's just process through that for a second. Let's just wander down that road. Verse 14, basically Jesus already knew when he died. So if he knew that from so far, wouldn't you also be safe to assume that he also knew that Lazarus was sick before they even told him? Wouldn't it also be safe to assume that, that, that Jesus already knew what the, the sisters were gonna be fearing even before they feared it? Wouldn't it also be safe to assume that that Jesus would know that the urgent message was on its way before it even got to him? Guys, we got to remember, God was already paying attention to Lazarus. God is El Roy. Jesus is the person of God incarnate, El Roy, the God who sees. He was already paying attention to Lazarus before Lazarus even started to go amok. Because God is omniscient. Jesus is all-knowing, and he's all-powerful. That's, that's, that's the Jesus that we're serving here. And yet, why is it that so many of us treat, treat God like a 911 service more than he is, the omnipotent, omniscient being? Why is it that we treat him like a 911 service? Right? So I, I, don't get me wrong, I understand that there are times when, when the pressure starts to build and our anxiety and our fear starts to get the best of us and we're, 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 we're not acting necessarily and, and believing rightly and so we urgently call up God. Hey, hey, hey God, this, this is what's going on in my life. Are you, are you seeing this? Can you send your EMT angels to come down and fix what's going on right now? We say that as if God only knew as much as we knew. Guys, God is not some divine dispatcher waiting for your call to be informed as to what's going on in your life. Be like, oh, I can fix that. He's not Paw Patrol. He doesn't get the call and they roll out. Right? He already sees you. He already knows what's going on in your life. He already loves you so deeply that he's paying attention to everything that's happening. And he's giving you all that you already need at every moment of your life. He already sees you. He already knows what you need. He already loves you. You're not catching him off guard. He's not like a paramedic who shows up onto the scene. He's like, oh, well, well, let me assess what's going on. I don't know what to do. All right, well, I need to fix this. All right, so I'm gonna put that Band-Aid on there. And no, no. So when you say, hey, God, my boss at work is terrible, he's not like, oh, I didn't know that. No, I'm gonna get right on this. When you're struggling with infertility for three years and you finally talk to God about it, it's not like, oh man, I, wow, geez, I wish you told me earlier. I could have helped. No. 
God's not a 911 dispatcher. He's already paying attention to you. The question is, can we rest in that? I mean, so when things start to get really urgent in your life, your heavenly dad is already on the scene with you, walking with you hand in hand, with full grace in his hand, ready to pour out to you that is guaranteed to be enough for you. Let's keep walking into verse 20 because this is where things get really raw. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. Well, of course she did. This is Martha we're talking about, right? She ain't scared to speak her mind. But Mary remained seated in the house. Verse 21, then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Guys, I just, I just need you to see how incredibly beautiful this is. This is the creator God being approached by one of his creations with a complaint and a confidence. You remember, remember we talked about in week one when God doesn't make sense, run to his presence. Martha was doing exactly what she needed to do, running to him with her confusion. She has this complaint. Basically says, Jesus, you're late. If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Why didn't you leave when we asked? Why didn't you leave when we told you what was happening? So she has this complaint, but she also has this confidence. Do you see how beautiful this is? She says, yet, even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. So she's like, Jesus, Jesus, I'm, I'm hurting, but I, I still trust you. God, this is painful, but I know you're still good. God, I, I can't believe this. I can't reconcile this right now, but I still trust and believe in you alone. Martha still trusts in Jesus. But she has this pain because Jesus didn't show up on time, or at least on her time. So to her mind, she, Jesus was late. And look at what happens next, verse 23 through 27. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who comes into the world. Amen? Guys, Jesus, Jesus makes this promise. Hey, your brother will come back to life. He will rise again. How, how, how amazing is that already? <laughs> Martha is like, yeah, I know. I know. He's going to fly away to glory on that last day in the resurrection. 
Because Martha was believing in some future event that only a certain sect of Jews called the Pharisees actually believed in. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection, which is why they're so sad. I'm sorry, that's actually how I remember it. And now you'll remember it forever. You're welcome. Bible Theology 101. Where was Martha's confidence, though? What was she looking to? Not Jesus. She was looking ahead to this future event that she heard about in the Old Testament, the resurrection of the dead. Where does Jesus redirect her faith? Onto him. He's concerned about what she's believing. She was trusting in a future event. He says, no, 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 no. I am the resurrection. I am that eternal life. In other words, Lazarus will come back to life when I say he'll come back to life and I will be the power that reinvigorates his body with just my speaking a word. Do you believe this? As can't you see, do you believe me? Are you convinced that this whole story is about what we're believing? <laughs> it's so important that we get that. He wants Martha believing in him. I mean, even though he's not done anything to solve her problem, even though it's still the dark of night and her brother's still dead, he's wanting her to believe and trust in him. Hey, you think I'm late? Just trust me. Just trust me. And we see Mary, finally, the introvert, comes out with the exact same complaint in verse 32, 32. She says the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Why didn't you leave when we asked you to come? Where were you? Why are you late? You see, Jesus showed up at the exact time that he intended so that no one would have any other excuse but to believe in him. Look at verse 39. Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, there is already a stench because he has been dead four days. Did you know the King James Version says, Lord, he stinketh? That is no longer a holy text. You take a, take a word and make it holy. Stink, stinketh, done. Verse 40, Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you what, what? Believe, say it again, church. Didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. And then Jesus, we see him pray, jump down to verse 43. After Jesus said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out bound hand and foot with linen strips and with his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he did, what? Believed, Believed in him. So here we see first that God's delays aren't necessarily God's denials. 
Do you believe that? God's delays aren't necessarily God's denials. Just because Jesus waited didn't mean that the answer was no. But if Jesus had done what everyone expected him to do, how would they have seen him do more than they thought or asked? Guys, if God always met our expectations, he'd never be able to exceed them. If he did everything the way that you wanted him to, he'd never be able to wow you. He'd never be able to create awe in you. Guys, Martha and Mary, probably at a minimum, were expecting a healing. Something that would just get him better. You know, and he'd done it before. Martha and Mary were expecting a healing. Jesus had plans and power for a resurrection. Guys, if, 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 if there's not a text that I can find that explains this more clearly, look at Ephesians 3.20. Now to him, this is a praise, the doxology, to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think. Okay. Enough said. Guys, I can tell you, I'll confess this, that there are times that I'll be sitting by the bedside of somebody who is dying and I get to have the privilege of lifting them up to the Lord in prayer. And I, I can confess to you that I've prayed at times, God, I just pray that you would heal their body right now. I pray that you would heal them. I believe that you'd get glory from that, that you'd get more glory from that if they got to see a miracle, if they got to see something radical happen you would get your glory. Guys, we put God's glory in there as if he'd get more of it doing what we think he should do. And yet God basically right here is just saying, hey, <laughs> don't tell me how to get my glory. I've got plans for my glory. And they're light years above yours. They far exceed your own. For example, like raising a dead man back to life instead of just healing him. So we see, we see Jesus loved them. We see him wait because he loved them, because he wanted to build up their faith and rightly orient it. We see Jesus make sure that they are believing in him, not in some superstitious belief or in some future events. No, it's all gonna be centered around the person of Jesus. We see Jesus do more than they could have asked or thought or even imagined could have happened. Guys, out of all of this, though, there's, there's, there's ultimately one thing based on the theme of belief throughout the whole story that I think you and I need to walk away from, especially when God seems late. And this is just a simple truth, and we're gonna repeat it, okay? It's this, when God seems late, believe all he is and all we have. Can we say that together? One, two, three. When God seems late, believe all he is and all we have. Because that's what Jesus that's what Jesus corrected in Martha. It was her belief. When she thought he was late, no, no, do you believe who I am? That's what Jesus accomplished when he rose Lazarus from the dead. People believed in Jesus, not in who they wanted him to be, but in reality, in truth, in who he is. 
Now, when I say believe, right, believe is a, it's unfortunately too weak in our minds, in our culture. Because you can, you can believe, there's no, no kids in here, you can believe Santa is real. And you can believe in Jesus, the same word, totally different things. Right, so when I'm talking about believing, I, I think there's a quote that I found uh, by R.C.H. Linsky that I think really sums it all up. The, the measure of our believing, while it is not the measure of our possessing, since the smallest faith has Jesus, the resurrection and the life, completely, is yet the measure of our enjoyment of it all. In other words, the measure of our believing is the measure of our enjoyment of it all. So when I say, when God seems late, believe all he is and all we have, I, I'm meaning enjoy him. Enjoy all that he is, that he is omniscient and omnipotent, that he is both tender and compassionate, that he is fierce and powerful, that he is gracious and merciful, loving and kind, that he is good and strong. And not only that, don't just look to him and all that he is. Also, look at all that Jesus won for us at Calvary. Look at all that he bought for us in Christ. I mean, look at this. He had bought for them resurrection life. It was theirs. They got a taste of it. They got a taste of it early. Jesus showed them resurrection power. That's what we have in Christ. Guys, that's, that's, the thing, that's the thing about the Christian faith, right? There are parts, when you and I get adopted into God's family and we are guaranteed the inheritance, we're co-heirs with Christ, there are things in the Christian faith that are, are always nows or laters but never knows. Are you tracking with me there? There are promises of God, there are gifts that we have in Christ that he won for us that are always for us either received now or later, but they're never not given to us. We always have them coming to us. They're always ours in Christ. Right? So, so for example, let me, let me try to put this in this way. When, when we lost our sister Lori Clark here, right? you all remember Lori Clark, she was the, the, the crazy praise lady over there. She loved Jesus deeply, and we prayed for her healing. She had cancer for, I think, three years. I may be off on that number. When we were praying for her healing before she died, do you realize that God's promise was, the answer was either yes or yes? When we were praying for her healing before she died, the answer was either yes or yes, right? She'll either be healed here or healed there. Right? She'd either be restored to life here or restored to life there. She'd either be with family here or with family there. She'd either be well taken of here or well taken of there. There's always things that are towards us in Christ that are never knows. It's part of our inheritance in Christ that we always have, and we have so much more. Guys, so when we're feeling lonely, we have available for us in Christ intimacy with our creator that we can have now and we will have in full later. Right? When you and I are feeling depressed, we can have full joy now and we're guaranteed to have it later. When you and I have doubts in our hearts and minds, in our faith, we can either have faith now 
It's definitely coming later. When our faith turns sight, when we're, we're, we feel like we're in bondage to sin and we're trapped and we can't get rid of it, there is freedom in Christ right now and there's definitely freedom coming. It's ahead. Guys, it's either resurrection life now or later. That's the thing. All we do is wait to receive. So God's never late. Because all we do is wait to receive. It's either a now or a later. Never a no with certain things in our faith in Christ. And guys, I'm telling you, this life is short. So it'll be really quick. It'll be really quick. It won't be long. So when I say believe in all he is and all we have, I'm saying look to God's character and how he's worked in the world when you think he's late. Trust him. And not only that, but look to all that Christ's blood purchased for us on that cross and recognize that what he's purchased for us is ours right now and will be in full for the rest of eternity. Because God's never late. Now I say that, that, that some of you have been waiting though. Some of you have been waiting for years and there just seems to be no end in sight. You've been persistent in prayer and waiting on the Lord and nothing, nothing's coming. If anything, first and foremost, guys, that doesn't mean that God stopped loving you. His love has not faded. It's not been lost. It's not lacking. He still loves you deeply. But in this season of waiting, he's actually working to build your faith. That's what he's doing. Now, let me, let me close out with just simply this. Many times this morning, we've repeated the words, Hosanna. Do we know what it means? Yeah, I'm not surprised that, that not too many of us know. Hosanna is, is the Greek word that's transliterated from the Hebrew word, Hoshiana. Can you say that with me? One, two, three. Hoshiana. That one Greek word only appears once in all of the Old Testament. And it's in Psalm chapter 118, verse 25. Psalm 118, verse 25. And that verse simply says, Lord, save us. Lord, Hoshiana. And the imagery is as if you and I are in the middle of the ocean on driftwood and the torrential storm is raging around us and the waves are billowing and crashing all around us and there's no hope, there's no salvation coming and our desperate plea is, Yahweh Hoshiana, Lord, save us. You see, that word stopped meaning that when Jesus showed up on the scene. Because when he showed up, Hosanna came. You see, the Old Testament usage of Hosanna meant 
a cry of desperate plea with no end in sight. And then in the New Testament, when Jesus walked in, when no one was looking, Hosanna came, and that word now means salvation has come. So when they were welcoming Jesus into the the city and they were crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, they were celebrating that finally, after years and millennia of waiting for their salvation to come, salvation has arrived from on high. Salvation is ours in this man, in this king. So you see, Hosanna always comes for the believer. There's never a moment in the Christian life where we have to experience true hopelessness. That's part of what we get when we have Jesus. And so you've been waiting on the Lord. It may seem like he's late. But brothers and sisters, I have to tell you, keep on waiting. He's worth it. He sees you. He loves you. He's paying attention to you. His grace is sufficient for you. His presence is open to you. He is readily available for all that you need, even in the wait, because he's building your faith. So we will wait. We hope this message helps you multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit waynesboroughfm.com.